Welcome to the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast. My name is Heather Kiros, and I'm the author and founder of First Century Youth Ministry. And if you want to learn about Jesus from his Jewish context and get better at discipleship in the 21st century, this podcast is for you. This podcast is a part of the Youth Cartel Podcast Network. Hey, friends, welcome back to the show. It's Heather here. I'm back once again with our special guest, Dr. Chap Clark. We are continuing the conversation on disciple makers do different things, right? They do these kinds of things when it comes to how they love and care for people. And uh, we are looking at the world of the first century and around that time to help answer today's youth leaders' questions. And so today we're going to look at disciple makers bring the family of God together. So these next two conversations are going to be um, focusing on how we can do that um, with the youth in our midst. And so for me, you know, one of my favorite memories growing up as a young Christian was I got involved in this singles group, Dr. Clark, as you can imagine, Christian singles groups usually. Something I've never wanted to make fun of. (laughs) Right, exactly. But I was really a part of one that was great. I mean, we really did life together. We were with each other all the time. We served one another. We served together. We, I felt like we were a part of something that mattered. And um, I felt like the people I was with cared about me and vice versa. And it was really a special thing. It felt like maybe a glimpse of what Jesus and his companions and um, those before and after him experienced in light of the Jewish community of the first century. Um, because I love this book uh, called uh, Our Father Abraham by Dr. Marv Wilson. He says this about American culture. He says the current display of rugged individualism and private Christianity seen within the church must give way to a greater emphasis on the corporate life of the community of faith. And then within the book, he contrasts the Jewish people with uh, what he sees in the American culture. And he emphasizes the Jewish understanding of, of how they identify themselves first and foremost as a community. He writes, world Jewry has long been a model of community. The Hebrew word mishpaha means family, but mishpaha refers not only to parents and children, it is the whole social unit that includes uncles, aunts, and even remote cousins. Furthermore, each mishpaha sees itself as a part of a single worldwide Jewish family. Furthermore, he even comments, I thought this was really fascinating. He says that synagogue membership is never figured on an individual basis but rather according to the number of family units. I mean, think about it, right? Like American church are like, how many people go to your church? You know, 300 or 150 or a thousand or a million and 50, right? But there it's, well, how many family units are a part of your church? Because that's just how they think. It's a different type of mentality in the Jewish mind as opposed to a Western mind. And so um, he also tells this funny story. I thought this was interesting and I thought it really kind of hits home on where we are at a lot of the times in the American church. He's, he writes about this, um, an old Jewish tale that was passed down from centuries ago. It goes a little something like this. It says, the tale is about three men in a boat. Suddenly, one of the men begins to drill a hole beneath his seat. When his friends immediately plead with him to stop, he replies, what are you worrying about? I'm only drilling under my seat. So the moral drawn out by the rabbis has been repeated again and again, of course, that we're all in the same boat. And so, Dr. Clark, you know, I love in your book, Adoptive Youth Ministry, you wrote that 
our young desperately need and long for authentic community. And then, of course, in Hurt 2.0, you wrote, we are a culture that has forgotten how to be together. So I love I loved Adoptive Youth Ministry. I read that book and I like ate it up and I loved Hurt 2.0. I ate it up and I just thought, wow, like this is really hitting at um, what is needed in our culture today is to get back to this place of authentic community and to learn how to be together much in how we see what was alive and active in uh, the life of Jesus and in the first century, and even in the lives of many Jews today, a focus on deep community and on and a familial type of um, uh, way of doing life, right? And so, so my question for you then, you know, if if we know our youth need and long for authentic community, and yet we are a culture that have forgotten how to be together, how can we even get there? How can we move away from an individualized church culture, as Dr. Wilson writes about? and into a robust community of Jesus followers. What do you think? Yeah, I, I loved all that introduction. I have not read that book, but it's sure worthy of looking at. And it yeah. seems like he's talking more about the history of the Jewish people mm. from first century on. Sure. Because the Old Testament, um, it didn't stop at family. In fact, mm. it wasn't the families that were counted. It was the it was the Men. clan. Tribes. Sure. Well, no, clans and tribes, children, women, yep. everybody. And oh, also, yeah, you're right. Yep. In the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible is it's the stranger, if they're in your land, they're also included. Mm. Which on you put that on Twitter and you're gonna have everybody kind of mad at you because they go, Well, I mm. not my family. That's this is my place, not theirs. And yet, yeah, you look at the ancient Jews and their idea of the family, and especially in the Mosaic era. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a much bigger sense. God was saying, no, no, I've created all of my children and you're unique in this place, but you're not going to be unique always. Mm. The goal is for all of things to come together and reconcile in Christ. And so, right. yeah. Um, so this idea of uh, everybody's created to long for a broader community that has no boundaries. That's what I would say, biblically. Sure. Yeah. And Jesus obviously um, lifts that up. The Samaritan, he was there three days with Samaritans. You know, sure. no rabbi do that. Come on. Yeah. Um, and introducing his disciples to, hey, this is really what I have in mind creation. Mm. So enjoy. These are, these are in faith, they're siblings. So, okay, we've talked about that last time. Um, mm. I, how do we move from an individualized? Well, part of the problem is in Western society, uh, the, the church has always reflected the culture. You can make an argument sure. that in Semitic cultures, uh, they also reflected, they they probably dictated the culture more than they reflected it. Hmm. And the difference is when, when Semitic cultures, especially, but different Asian cultures around the world, when, when you have as your core value community and integration of everybody, mm-hmm. um, then that your culture is going to reflect that, which sure. is okay. But when it shifts to what ended up happening in the West and Christianity in the Western world, a much more individualistic, mm-hmm. market-driven, I guess you could say I could use other words, but I won't. Sure, um, sure. And that, that kind of rebelled against this idea that we're all in this together and the fragmentation of the ones who are powerful, ones who are not. Yeah. I write about this adoptive church. Mm. Um, that uh, that's really the demise of community in the Western church was when we, we basically set apart clergy and then we set apart the wealthy and the politically powerful. 
mm. as leaders. So mm. you had the clergy people separation, the wealthy versus the not. Uh, you you go to Boston, for example, go to one of those old churches, and you see the they didn't have pews; they had boxes, and your family would buy a box, hmm. and the poor would sit around the outside. Wow! Yeah. And that's in the U.S. You go back to Europe and all over the place, you see it everywhere. Huh. Yeah, and you probably didn't even know that, but it was so ingrained in the culture that wait a minute, I earned this. This is mine. You, mm-hmm. You're not, and yet you're right, and he's right. The gospel mm-hmm. is. Hold on a second. Sure. We're matching together. So this is a much, what you write and what you ask is a much bigger issue. Sure. It's bigger than a youth ministry person can't come and go, okay, knock off the individualism. We're going to love each other. It's going to be like a family. How awesome is that? Yeah. Um. So as long as we recognize that, so then what can we actually do about it? Right. Um. I believe what God's calling any of us to do in any setting we're in, if you're a youth ministry person, if you're a parent, mm-hmm. just an interested adult, how can you change culture like that? If, right. Especially against our world culture, as well as the church culture of separation and hierarchy and power. Mm-hmm. You just you just organically move in the direction of making it better right where mm-hmm. you are. Yeah. That is my bit of advice. And I... And I got four specific tips if people want to hear about Ooh, that. Oh, yeah, right? let's hear it. Well, you asked for radical skills, and I'm kind of going, youth workers are great at using the word radical, but crummy at actually going for it. Yeah. Unless they want to get fired. And, and sometimes what they think is radical is is bringing pigs into somebody's living room for a skit, which I did when I was a young youth worker. Oh, my gosh. It's all over a new carpet. It, kids loved it because it's so cool. It did kiss the pig. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was great. Well. And then the stupid. That's radical. Oh boy, yeah. boy, that totally me. radical. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but here's four organic things that we can do in youth ministry or in any ministry setting to bring about a greater awareness of we're in this together. Yeah. And there's four steps proactively. Number one, okay. We've got to make sure the leadership in our church, in our community, our parachurch, all has a basic agreement that, that is that's really an important part of faith. Sure. Without leadership agreeing. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do. Yep. Because nobody's going to preach about it. Nobody's going to talk about it. Okay, that's first. Mm-hmm. And again, this is an adoptive church. It's a whole thing on how you bring change to any culture. Mm-hmm. The second thing is after you got at least leadership's got your back and everybody in your leadership team agrees, mm-hmm. then you start creating language, what I call a lexicon, that mm-hmm. reflects that um, that reality, in other words, start instead of talking about be, you and your quiet time with Jesus, that's great. Yeah. But because because what God wants for you is a is is this bigger whole that don't you realize you once were an orphan or functionally an orphan mm-hmm. and now you're you're a child with other children yeah. and use language like we're we're a family. This is our family room. This is just some of us. When we just go to youth ministry events, we're actually going to our bedroom hiding from everybody. No. Mm-mm. And and try to use words that describe the reality. That's the lexicon. So okay. first, and second, have language that you continue to use to reinforce that's and good. try to get your pastors and others to use it from the pulpit. That's right. Yeah, it's good. Thirdly, look for places that actually is authentic community happening. Mm. What I call narratives. A narrative is is not a story. 
A narrative is a way that we describe random events and experiences in a way that provide them boundaries and meaning. Hmm. In other words, a narrative is not a videotape of an actual event or experience. What it is, is my reflection and summary of that event. So it has power. It's something I can hold and carry and share. Yeah. My narrative. So look for a narrative. There's, there's the, and I use the story of a guy named Bob who was like in his late sixties and he started wanting to help out with high school kids, but he didn't want to leave a small group. And so what he did was he was teaching kids how to, uh, to fix electric bikes. Cause that was his hobby. Nice. So he had a bunch of guys from the church come over and that was the way he was just loving these kids. Okay. And so then we tried to train him up what that actually means and how do you bring Christ into it. But you tell Bob's story to the world. You put it in newsletters. You get an announcement in front of the church. Hey, right. Let me tell you what your ministry is here. It's Bob. It's you guys. <laughs> Bob, he's got all the kids that are going to Bob's garage once a week. You stand and they stand up. And so you tell that narrative and everybody sees yeah. what it is you want to do. That's so, great. Buy-in, lexicon, common language, yep. Yep. narratives. And lastly, you restructure programs. You add different things that you do. Every mm. youth worker I've ever known and why I've been fighting against intergenerational ministry programs. Mm. You go straight from, that's a great idea, community. Let's do a day with Habitat for Humanity. Take the junior high kids and senior adults to get in a van and go build a house. Awesome. Right. Sure. That's a disaster. Yeah. Doing programs without doing this legwork hmm. doesn't work and makes it worse. Hmm. So you you appropriately program for the bobs of the world and then invite people in to new creative. And again, it's all, like I said, it's all organic. Yeah. It's what you can do without working too hard at it. Mm-hmm. And it's who we are. And then the more you do that, that can infuse a congregation. So you're saying instead of... I just of- gave you... A- Higher seminary class. That was great, actually. I love those four points because those are easy to take home and write down as you're listening. But so essentially what you're saying is instead of creating like this event for the kids and the older adults to get together, you already create a framework that creates a place for Bob's and Susan's and Jerry's and whoever else to just kind of do their thing. And you invite people to participate in that with them. Is that what I hear you saying? Yes. And, yeah. and and back forth. I mean, you have kids yeah. that go, well, I, I see your slides and they're horrible, but I'm really good at that. And I'm in eighth grade. Oh, oh, really? You can, you can do uh, I'm not wanna be, I don't want to do it. I want to teach you how to do it. So you have an eighth grader that's in charge of your production, whatever. Sure. In other words, do it both ways. You don't have to just have the adults that invite them in. Yeah. It's, I would like to mention that you did yeah. say videotape earlier. So you definitely... <laughs> Right. If you said videotape to an eighth grader, they would be like, I don't know what that is. Isn't that crazy? Oh, yeah. Well, okay. That's thank you for showing me your agenda still. That's great. Way to go. Well, as you can tell, I'm not. They luckily they can't see me and be that's right. That's totally fine. I I I used to watch videotapes too, you know. It's but but you're right, because I don't know how to um navigate all of the um social media aspects or how to navigate all of the current um, lingo or different production elements, right? That a young person could know how to do, but, but bringing them into your world invites a relationship, which now invites them to be able to share the things that they can do that could help you as an older person be better at what you do. 
right? And these are these are these are bridge opportunities. That's why it's fourth on the list. Yeah. That can create the catalyst for the community that actually old people long for, they don't know it, and middle-aged people long for, and they don't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just was with somebody two days ago that their whole ministry now, he quit his old job and doing a ministry out of men because no men know how to have friendships anymore. Yeah. And um, I don't, you know, I, it's a little bit of an overstatement, of course, like everything I say, but mm. um, everybody longs for it. Everybody's scared of it. Yeah. And almost nobody knows how to do it. Right. So that's why you can little baby steps, mm-hmm. lexicon narratives, huge. I like that. And everybody has a story to share. I remember that back in the day when I was working at church, you know, people would always ask me, well, how many kids are coming or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, can I tell you the story about a kid's life who's been changed? And then it, 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 it allows them to enter into the narrative and to see, oh, what, see what God's doing and say, oh, well, I would want to be a part of that or Wow, that's a really encouraging story instead of just sharing, oh, I had X amount of kids come to youth group, right? So we all have a a Bob or a whoever out there who's doing youth ministry like a champ and and creating community. And I think that's super helpful to say. Yeah, and if you you ask Bob, are you doing youth ministry? You go, no, no, I'm fixing it. Yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) And and I got some buddies who are helping me who happen to be 14 to 16 years old, Mm -hmm. which is... That's the essence of community right there. I love it. That's cool. Well, this has been a fun conversation. We're going to continue the conversation next week as we dive in a little bit deeper, looking at um, inviting the vulnerable into our youth ministries and into our churches. So Dr. Clark, thanks again. It's been a super fun conversation. And friends, thanks again. Always to be, good to be with you, Heather. Yes, thank you. And, and thanks. people, why don't you do something? Why don't you write Heather responses to the thing? things that she's doing and we're doing when I'm with her. Yeah. So we know what we're thinking, what you need hmm. and uh, pass the word. So, cause she's doing great work. So get this thing going. Mm-hmm. And once she takes off, then uh, that'll be great. She probably won't have me anymore, but I'll invite her. Uh, I know some wealthy people, you know, interesting <laughs> things she can have. But, That's cool. So write her back. Let her know you're watching. Listen thanks. To this stuff. thanks, Dr. Clark. I appreciate that. Well, friends, thanks for joining us for this episode and we'll catch you next time. Bye. <laughs>